Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Understeer podcast. Today I'm delighted to welcome on Will from uh, Formula Podcast One. How are we today, Will? Oh, honestly, after yesterday, I am brilliant. I can't wait for this. It's going to be a good fun chat. Yeah, awesome. So uh, for anyone who doesn't know already, uh, Will, would you like to tell us a bit about what you do in the uh, Formula One YouTube community? Yeah, so uh, my name is Will. I run a channel called FP1 or Formula Podcast One. Uh, what I do basically is, no, to be honest, <laughs> I do all sorts of things. I, I focus quite heavily on the uh, aero side, looking at the actual technical side of Formula One, looking at the inner workings of Formula One team, how they actually work. And a little bit of my own humour, my own style in there as as well. Uh, and then also talk about the race uh, weekends, any breaking news that comes out. So yeah, I'm still going to figure out what I want to do on the channel but um, at the moment it's kind of a mishmash of everything so if that sounds up your street then feel free to check me out awesome so uh, let's just get straight into the um the sort of questions that we're going to be asking today going to be kind of focusing on a plethora of uh, of topics but um firstly let's what a race that was this weekend like i mean almost go as far as 214 or whatever days it was was worth waiting for oh. mm-hmm yeah, that was that was something else. I think after you know the 217 days, however, however long it was that we waited for racing to resume, we deserved a weekend like that. Yeah. It was full of action. It never really stopped. There was one point in the race, I think around you know, lap 30, lap 40, where I was thinking, oh, okay, now the Mercs are going to run away with it. And it is kind of looking very much like a 2014 situation where the Mercedes cars just run away at the front and no one can touch them yeah. unless they hit each other, which... <laughs> I'd love to see, but um, you know, I, I I think well with the safety cars and how it all kind of what, three restarts again. Yeah. Then with the Mercedes having issues with their reliability, yeah, three of them, um, and then obviously having the Mercedes having issues with their with their engines and their and possible gearboxes as well uh, with the vibrations over the curbs. It did help level things out. We got a really exciting race at the end of the day. So obviously, we saw. One of the top teams, maybe one of the, obviously Mercedes are the clear favourites for the season, but we saw Red Bull not being able to score any points uh, due to uh, Max Verstappen engine failure and uh, Alex Albon, uh, Lewis Hamilton, deja vu from a few races back in Brazil. How crucial do you think that is for Red Bull uh, to, because, you know, if McLaren go on a really good streak and carry on what was an excellent race for them, on the weekend, how crucial do you think that that non-point starter could be for Red Bull's chance of getting second and maybe even slightly challenging the Mercs up front in the Constructors' Championship? Well, I think they'll still get second. The McLaren car is quick this year and really, really good, but I don't think it's a, a team that's going to get into second unless Red Bull have an absolute shocker of a season and McLaren get very, very lucky. We've kind of got to come back down to earth and realise that what we had yesterday... It's not normal. It's not going to be the norm. You know, that that was a wild, it was a crazy race, but we're not, we are going to, I bet you next week won't be the most interesting of races. I feel like we've got a lot of it out of the way now. We might have a few, a few slogs of a few Grand Prix in, in, in the next ones. But, you know, I think it's more, you know, the second point you mentioned about then challenging Mercedes where it could be difficult. Bear in mind that this is also, this is a track where Mercedes have genuinely struggled in the past, especially with reliability. Mm. And it's a track which is very, very good for Red Bull. So we were saying before the season came in, you know, this is, looking at the way the calendar's set out, it's, it, it's advantage Red Bull coming into it. Now, obviously they had a, a pretty hellish trial of fire for their, yeah. uh, for, the, for their first race of, of 2020. And that's not going to help them a lot. I think it, it definitely gives us... See, it swings the advantage over to Mercedes now, basically. Definitely. I don't think anyone was expecting the Honda engine to be that unreliable again. Mm. Uh, we don't really know what the issue was yet. Or at least I, don't, I haven't seen any uh, confirmation. No, it looked like some kind of electronics issue, but we it don't know yet. Stall issues, so, I think, was what the problem was. Okay, there we go. And, yeah, it, it's... Red Bull have got to bounce back now. And I think what shocked a lot of people... Was, I think we knew Mercedes were going to be faster, but we didn't think they'd be that much faster. In a where, league of their own. You know, even if... Go on. In a league of their own where Mercedes, like, just... It's everyone else is really exciting behind, and then there's Mercedes at the front. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it's it's a tricky one. Um, I think even Red Bull were a little bit surprised with the pace. And 
I still, if had Verstappen stayed in that race, I don't think he would have catched the Mercs. I think, you know, Hamilton was closing up to him at this point. Mm. Bottas was seven seconds up the road. and I thought Albon know, had a really good chance of winning that because uh, he was mm. on the softs. He was looking really quick, work, not for Hamilton. Um, but also mentioning about Red Bull, uh, who then, then they're going to want to bounce back, obviously, uh, next week. But everyone is now wise to their medium strategy. So what do they do? Uh, do they just go down the, the soft route again in the qualifying or do they go for the mediums again that everyone knows the strategy that they can pull and I'm guessing some other teams will be pulling that strategy as well? Well, we don't really know how well that medium strategy would have worked because obviously, you know, Verstappen ended up uh, retiring. You mentioned Albon there and, you know, again, I was gutted for Albon. Albon could have won that race, but it Definitely. wasn't on a pace front. You know, Mercedes had issues. And they're on incredibly old tyres. So really there, you know, it was it was going to be advantage Red Bull. And you know, in, in the end, Hamilton said goodbye to that one. And I'm sure we'll get, I'm sure we'll get onto that a little bit later. But, you know, it, it's... Uh, um, Red Bull, they were very much all talk coming into the weekend. And I think as they kind of realised that... Mercedes hang on a second, ridiculous. We haven't really got the pace here. Mm. They started. They started throwing the toys out the pram. I think a lot of people were a little bit miffed with you know their, all their protests, firstly about Das and then about the uh, Hamilton yellow flag incident. Um, and you know, I think it was still quite cool to see Hamilton fight his way through the pack. That was great. Mm. So, but that Mercedes, know, I'm, would I'm have all preferred. down for him starting in fifth. But the reason he started in fifth, I, I, I can't really ag- agree with. I think it was. Red Bull just, I mean, I appreciate it's Formula One and they're going to take any advantage they can get, but it just felt very childish and very silly. Yeah, um, you mentioned the yellow flag incident. From a personal opinion of the yellow flag, I'm not sure what you think, but if you're going around a high-speed corner through all the Gs and you're facing to the left and the flag was to the right, I'm pretty sure, it towards the start of Sector 3, <laughs> as many have mentioned... Are you really looking out for that flag post when you're flying through there at what, how, whatever speed he was going at? Yeah, I, I'm, I mentioned this in my video I think, like, when I first kind of talked about it after the race. And at the end of the day, you've got to think, well, firstly, that yellow flag pause that Red Bull were quoting was right on the other side of the gravel trap. The only person that was going to see that on a qualifying that where they're focusing on the next apex, which comes very quick at that part of the circuit in Austria, and that's going to be Valtteri Bottas. He's like, oh, there's yellow flag. I oh, know, that, that, that's because of me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he's not, he's not going to care. He's, he's cutting the mowing, grass. Mowing the lawn. Yeah, he's cutting the lawn over there. So that's, that, that, that's not a problem for him. I think, you know, I think the, the one on the actual track side of, uh, of or the, the marker on the side close to the track was showing green. So for me, I think it was very, very harsh. Mm. Technically, by the rule book, yes, Hamilton should have got the penalty. But that yellow flag, flag border was in such a stupid place well, no one's really going to spot that unless you're the yellow flag and I, I'm I, to be clear I'm not a Hamilton fan I'm I'm a very neutral fan especially when it comes to teams you know I'll mm. support Danny Rick but that's about it you know I'm I have no I don't care if you know Hamilton does well or does badly in the race but for me that was unfair and I think mm. I thought that it they... was just Red Bull being a bit petty stewards you would think that they would show a bit more uh, common sense, kind of like mm. obviously there are the rules, but there are different aspects to the rules that the that the situation can kind of change uh, what happens, whether really it's fair or not. Whether it's like obviously if it was a uh, right in front of him, then it would be an obvious penalty. But if you look at the situation and where he was, it probably wasn't the fairest um, yeah. penalty to be given. But you did uh, mention Daniel Ricardo. Um, Interesting enough, I'm not sure about Ocon, but I thought the Renault, until uh, Ricardo had to stop, showed pretty good pace uh, over the race as a whole. And they were pretty good in qualifying, Ricardo was anyway. Before that, yellow flag stopped his chance of actually getting a lap in. I'm, I'm not sure. What do you think? Renault, Renault are an interesting one because, you know, um, they look like they've improved. They definitely look quite closer to McLaren and Racing Point, but I think both of those have made bigger strides forward. I think it's Ferrari falling back, which has kind of made everyone think, oh, Renault's doing okay again. Mm, maybe. So I think, yeah, they've definitely made strides. They went to the very different, you know, aero philosophy this year, especially around the front end of the car. They've kind of gone for that. I don't want to say Mercedes S because it's very different than Mercedes front nose, but I guess to a, you know, to, to a non aero savvy fan, it's, it's kind of like an, a Mercedes S front, front nose with a nice, you know, curved point at the end. Yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, Ricardo seems to be doing very well, you know, and he seems to be. It, go back to Hungry. Australia last year, and they were struggling to get out of Q1, and that car didn't look great. So they definitely made strides with it, and they've definitely kind of moved up, and they've, they've, they're comf- comfortably ahead of teams like, you know, Alpha Tauri, Alpha Romeo, uh, and Haas as well, who, you know, back last year were more of a threat. Now, Ocon. I'm trying not to be too harsh on him. It's his first race in uh, a year and a half. 218 day. Uh, no, sorry. It's like, yeah, a year and a half. 400 yeah, about and 500 and something days, yeah. isn't it? I think, off the top of my head. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's... He, he wasn't great. And part of me wants to be harsh because this was the guy that was very hotly tipped to be in a Mercedes this year rather than a Renault. So, you know, it does kind of show that I think Merck made the right decision in keeping Bottas, which I think a lot of people disagreed with, you know, at the time last year. But yeah, he wasn't he wasn't really setting the world alight, and I'm hoping that's just him getting used to the car. Well, I, I think I'm going to give him till Silverstone, and if there's no progress by Silverstone, then I'm going to be start thinking, well, this guy's not quite as good as we Up all thought he job, was. Yeah. So. Also, we also saw a slight resurgence of the Williams car this weekend. They were, you know, George Russell was, what, a couple of thousandth off getting into Q2, uh, which you feel is a bit of an inevitability this season. And also, if he hadn't have had uh, engine or whatever problems, then you, I, I could see him getting into the points on the first weekend. Also, Latifi got, was one away from the points, but he was also last, so it's not really that great of an achievement but um do you think that this is sort of a project that could that for Williams they could see be going aiming at the 2022 regs to uh come there firing all guns blazing and uh, back at the top where they kind of belong I don't feel they get back up to the top but I think the 2022 regs are definitely an opportunity for Williams to make at least a small resurgence into the midfield now go back to November uh and you know I was I was at the Williams factory for a job interview. I got to speak to some of the uh, some of the guys from the area department there, and they said at the time, you know, we're aiming to get the car towards the rear of the midfield, a lot closer to the midfield. And I'll be honest, when they said it back then, I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll believe that when I see it. Now we're seeing it, you know. You're you're right. The TV's struggling a bit, but like Ocon, it's you know, in fact, even more than Ocon, it's his first race in Formula One. You've got to go mm. easy on him and. He managed to get to the end. He did. I was expecting Latifi to bottle it at some especially point in the first race that. and bin it in the wall, especially after FP3. Yeah. You know? So, good on Latifi. Could have got a point there. I feel like if the, if it was Russell, not Latifi, that retired, or hadn't retired even, I feel like Russell would have got into the points, maybe overtaken Giovinazzi or mm. been a little bit more resilient with Vettel, who was really struggling. But, you know... Williams have made a really big step forward. And I think if you look on the... Um, there was a, there's a graphic that's going around at the moment showing how much teams have improved or, in the Ferrari engine team's case, got worse from last year to this year. And Williams made the big, one of the biggest gains. I think it's a like half a second, I think, do you off think, last year. Do you and if think, you add to that teams like Alfa Romeo and Haas slipping a little bit further back, yeah. that really helps you. You know. Do you think how much of that development, I've heard a lot of people mention, do you think is down to George Russell's... Uh, input. I've heard a lot of people mention that he's great for um, feedback in the car and improving the car when possible. How much of that do you think is actually down to George Russell? Ooh, probably part of it. However, you know what? And no one's really mentioned this, but I wouldn't be surprised if Robert Kubica had quite a significant impact on the car. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to think George. No matter how good he is with, with, with you know, talking about a car and, and, and setting up a race car, this is only his second season in Formula 1. You yeah. know, He was in his rookie season last year. And he'll be able to give some sort of limited feedback, but he won't, and, and it might be better than the general rookie driver, but it won't be the kind of feedback that, say, someone like Kimi Raikkonen or Sebastian Vettel or a Lewis Hamilton can give back to a team. You need that experience yeah. in Formula 1. Robert Kubica, part of the reason they brought him on was not to say down to his speed, but part of you know how great he was... You know, I was as... surprised that they didn't keep Kubica on as the reserve driver instead of Aitken uh, for this season, actually, because as you mentioned, I think things broke down. I think it was a, there's obviously a lot of sponsorship stuff as well. Mm. Kubica 
has obviously Alden backing him and they went to Alfa Romeo. It's why Alfa signed him as their reserve driver because he is very, very knowledgeable. Yeah. And he, he helped the team as well quite a lot in, in, in 2018 when he, he was, was passed up on by Sorokin. Um, so I'm sure Kubitz has had a bit of an impact on that car um, for definite. George will start to play a bit more of a better role this year. And that's kind of why they needed Kubitz in the car for 2019 with, with, with George coming in as well. They needed... An experienced experience hand in yep. there. Someone who knew a Formula 1 car back Agreed. to front and who raced several different leading Formula 1 cars as well to give mm-hmm. that express feedback and to kind of show them where they're going wrong and where the issues are. And I think that, that you know, the dividends of that have, have proven true this year. So you also mentioned Alfa Romeo. So probably by the time this comes out, they'll be hit with a hefty fine after uh Kimi Raikkonen's they yeah. whatever happened with his tire just completely flying off that could have been incredibly dangerous if there were spectators around what what do you is there anything to make of that incident or do you have an opinion on it that incident confused me quite a lot because drivers and if we you know these guys are so good and Kimi Raikkonen as well is you know the most experienced guy on the field mm-hmm. He should have been able to notice that wheel was loose. So I do wonder if... I I don't think there's been any knowledge on whether it was an unsafe release, but I wonder if something failed, whether the wheel nut failed rather than anything else. Because, yeah, he's going to be driving at safety car speeds, but this is still a Formula 1 car. That wheel should have come off long before it did. I wonder if it was more vibration on the curb. I think it was a curb he went through when it failed. That, that, that did it and that might save Alpha, which they kind of need at the moment because they are another team that is really struggling and you know Alfa Romeo as well there have been rumours they might pull out in a year or two's time so mm, I it was a very strange you made a very good point about there being no spectators as well because had that wheel fell into the crowd it could have hit another driver and thank god we have the halo as yeah. well you know um, obviously that one might be quite a controversial thing to say a few years ago but I think now everyone's kind of got over used to it. it. I wasn't a massive fan of the Halo and I still don't like the look of it. But you know what? With instances like that where wheels still do come off. And Leclerc's uh, incident with that. Um, exactly, Alonso. yeah, with, 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 with Alonso. That one I was still a little bit, uh, maybe, maybe not. It, it, those kind of incidents are a bit of a weird one because without the Halos, the cars could have qualified in a different place. The cars look completely different. Yeah. So, yeah, it, there, there's... Disadvantages If you want to delve into it, if you, if you take the Halo off, then possibly. But... You know that we're we're back we're off we're going off track a little bit there, but back 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 to this year that incident was very weird and it's one that I'm quite interested to see the reason behind. I think it'll be very difficult for Alpha to prove there was a failure on the car rather than the failure in the pit stop, but we'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, yeah, it was just like I said, it's just such a strange incident that Kimmy didn't mention that. To on the all. radio, I didn't hear anything about it either. You did also mention the curbs, which seemed to be quite an issue over the weekend with some of them actually being removed, but they're still there because they're so uh, hard on the cars. We also had uh, Mercedes with... You can never count on Mercedes with their... They were going, oh, we're at critical, but it's always with Mercedes. Oh, <laughs> the tyres have gone. Oh, something's always wrong. But yeah, they always <laughs> end up winning the race. And we also saw multiple gearbox and engine failures do you think that the stewards, obviously they will be looking at it, but do you think they'll make any change uh, for the Styrian Grand Prix or whatever it is this weekend? These, the curb, they took out the sausage curbs, which are very easy removed and you know taken off. And we've seen teams take curbs off before. There was, I'm trying to remember what year it was. I want to say 2012 or 2013. Uh, and it was a curb at the Singapore Grand Prix that was taking, I think it was Massa's car. It, it was puncturing tyres, it was doing something, uh, and they ended up taking it off the track. Now, it's a little bit easier on a street circuit because those curbs aren't Temporary. permanent. But around a race venue like Austria, getting rid of the sausage curbs, that's fine, that's easy enough. But in a week to get rid of all the other curbs, like the ones that were causing the main issue in the last couple of corners, because the cars are very, going very, very quick around mm. there, and you can really push the limits of the boundaries. I don't think they'll make any other changes. Um do you the think they might the curves, next year? Sorry, go on. Do you think they might next year? Maybe. I think it's going to depend on what the reliability is like this year. I, I don't see them doing it. Uh, I think it's only really been a big issue this time because you know it's the first round of the Grand Prix, it's the first round of the season. Mm. 
we haven't had a chance to test these cars' reliability in anger yet, which is why we saw so many uh, retirements. You know, Austria, Aust- not sorry, Australia, sorry, is usually a circuit that's fairly nice on on the cars in terms of a physical sense. You know, you still get engine failures and that, but instead we've gone to Austria for the first round, which is very, very hard on the cars. It's a car kit at that track, and the weather wasn't really playing to their advantage mm. as well. It was incredibly hot that day. Uh, and we've seen, cars, especially the Mercedes engines, has really struggled in those sort of conditions and struggled around the Austria circuit. You know, Austria and Mexico are the two tracks in the calendar that are proper car killers when it comes to reliability. And so I guess we shouldn't have really been surprised to see quite a few retirements. Seeing nine of them, that, that surprised me. Um, I didn't see that one coming. But um, yeah, um, I think we'll get less next week. But there'll still be a few in there. I don't think they'll change the track, though, because by 2020, we'll be back. Or by 2021, sorry, we'll be back to Austria being Hopefully. round seven or eight of the season. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of the reliability niggles have been sorted out. You, also, finally for the team, so I do have an episode coming out with uh, about the fall of Haas. So I won't talk about it too much. But we did see um, Haas, uh, Grosjean, I think, did Magnussen also retire as well? Both of them double retirees. Also, you don't want to leave Grosjean with no breaks. That's her last person. <laughs> leave. But uh, what so, do you, what do you think has gone wrong at Haas? So obviously they had a really good. They came out from nowhere, started scoring points in their first year, started building up to eventually a really good 2018 year, challenging this fourth spot for Renault. And then a poor year last year, and then they started off with a no point uh, double retiree in the first race of the season. What do you think has gone wrong at the Haas team? I mean, it's still early days, but it appears to be an issue with the brakes again, which is quite weird because it's a problem we thought Haas had fixed a couple of years ago. For the one year where they've not had issues with the brakes was 2019, where they had some other issues off track <laughs> regarding a certain sponsor, um, which I can't talk about because he's quite been quite nice to me. But no, um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I mean, yeah, Rich Energy was an interesting scenario, and it's a shame because all the controversy that and, the, and I guess the pull of the actual car itself that affected that uh, that that team in 2019 was really you know when they didn't have these brake issues, and now they seem to have come back this year. Again, it could be down to the Austria circuit. We didn't see many issues like mm. that in testing. Um, the Haas car just seems to be a little bit slow in testing. And they've also got the Ferrari engine, which isn't helping them at the moment. But it was very, very strange. And They sorted out the tyres. Sorted out the tyres, but then the rest of the car still can't yeah. go. <laughs> like they fixed one issue and then they've gone back to another one. It's, yeah. it's very, very weird. Haas, I'm, not, I, I, like I said, I'm a neutral fan. I don't really care how well Haas do. But this year, I kind of do. In the sense that, you know, as a, as a neutral F1 fan, I want to see as many teams, as many drivers in the, in, in the sport as possible. Yeah. And Gene Haas is very kind of on edge with this F1 program mm-hmm. and whether it's going to continue. And I do want Haas to just do well, just so we can keep that team in the sport more than anything else. It's quite entertaining. I'm sure Netflix wouldn't be very happy if uh, Haas went out. I did. Oh, I can't wait for Gunther's reaction to that one. <laughs> I did lie um, when we were talking about finally. T- I've got one more team to talk about, which is, as you mentioned, uh, Ferrari. Mm. Obviously, we had Sebastian Vettel, the, probably the biggest shock of Saturday, not getting into Q3. As Sky said, everyone's heard about a million times. The only time he has an on pace alone. And then he had Charles Leclerc's brilliant drive. And then we also heard that uh, Binotto coming out and saying that the actual upgrade for Hungary is an aero upgrade, not an engine upgrade. Do you think that just wipes him out of contention completely for this season, for maybe even a top three spot? Um, no. I think, air, well, the aero upgrade that Ferrari need anyway, uh, they've gone down the wrong aero philosophy with that car. And it, this is going to be a massive error. I don't think people realise how, how big this upgrade is going to be because if it was just a medium-sized upgrade or a fairly big upgrade, like, yeah, we've seen Mercedes and Renault uh, especially bring in three sets of upgrades the for Austria. And Renault, yeah. So Ferrari... And I guess that's not been helped by what the COVID-19 situation has been like over in uh, over in Italy. But, you know, Ferrari, this upgrade is so big, they haven't had, they, ha- they can't prepare it for this weekend or next weekend. Mm. You know, they've got to prepare it for Hungary. So this is going to be massive. I think we're going to effectively see a B-spec car when we get to, uh, when we get to Hungary. Everything is going to look very, very different. And it's a big gamble from Ferrari because usually in a normal season, you trickle it up to upgrade slowly one at a time so you can check which ones work and which ones don't work. 
is what went wrong with Renault last year because they threw in loads of upgrades mm. all at once and then the car started underperforming and you couldn't tell at that point which ones worked, which ones didn't work. Mm. But maybe they have nothing to lose. Maybe the Ferrari have nothing to lose at the moment, especially with those It does, it does look that way. And, you know, Leclerc got very lucky. You know, it was an incredible drive. But he did get very lucky. That Safety car did not cars. deserve to be in P2 on pace. And the Ferrari fans might come out with me on that one. <laughs> I don't care. Look at your qualifying. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> don't tell me that Ferrari is worth a P2 spot or even a podium spot yeah. at the moment. But, you know, can they get there by the end of the season? Yes. But, you know, like I, I've, I've mentioned this before. There's this token system this year. So any parts that are frozen, if a team want to improve that, they've got to spend these tokens and they have limited amounts of these tokens to spend. Mm, so you can't blow now, them all out. That's that's not been an issue for, for, for people like Mercedes and Renault and Red Bull because those frozen parts start from the Austrian Grand Prix, the first round of the season. Yeah. So they don't need to spend those tokens to upgrade their cars from testing to race one. Ferrari will do since they're implementing their upgrade in race three, which I think is blooming stupid to begin with. <laughs> And I just hope that this upgrade works. If it doesn't, Ferrari are in big trouble because they're going to have less tokens at the end of the season. So if they do end up in this championship fight, which I don't think they will, but if they do fight by some miraculous turn of events, they're going to fight very difficult to stay competitive towards the end as well. So I think we could definitely see a big bell curve in terms of, the, in terms of their performance. They go up and they're doing really well and then yeah. towards the end of the season, they drop off the pace again. This is a slightly controversial question. Oh, do you it. think that... Obviously, we have the 2022 regulations coming in. Ferrari are well-known as, I think, the biggest spender on the grid. Mm. Do you think that this season could be the start of a downwards curve for Ferrari? Um, let's, let's start by looking back in history. 2014, well, 2017 was a bit of a weird one. They actually did quite well with the switch of regulations. But 2014, they did awfully. You know, switching from 2013, where the car was okay. Like, it... It, it wasn't as bad as the 2012 car, but it was a pretty good car. It could win races. To obviously having that win the season in 2014, I think it was their first win the season since the 90s. <laughs> 92, I want to say, but I'm not 100 certain on that one. Uh, and then go back further. That 2009 was really bad. You know, that was one of the biggest uh, te- uh, technical regulation changes we'd seen at that time. Mm. And the cars are very, very different. And Ferrari just went the wrong way. They picked up one win uh, in Belgium that year. But again, that was a bit of a one-off, really. They didn't have the pace at the rest of that, that season. And yeah, they brought it back in 2010. But in general, Ferrari has struggled when it comes to switching over to a new set of regulations. Now, what's interesting here is, given the poor performance of their car, I wouldn't be surprised if they switch over a lot sooner. Uh, and maybe that will help them in 2022. That remains to be seen. Mm. Mm. I mean, they've said already that you can't you can't test 2021 cars in the wind tunnel, I think, until the start of the 2021 season, or it's around that sort of time. They've basically put a freeze on all 2021 development up until that point to stop teams going completely mad with it and throwing away two seasons, which, you know, some teams have done in the past. That's what Honda basically, or sort of did, uh, in 2008, or 2007, 2008. To, to prepare for 09. Obviously, mm. they became Braun and, and, and won the championship. So it does work if you do that. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see. I think it would be sensible for Ferrari definitely to send a few heads over to 2022 because that's going to be their best chance. I don't think they'll win a championship. I think Mercedes have just taken this one by storm. And given the fact that these cars are going to stay more or less the same for 2020 to 2021, mm-hmm. you've got to start or, or got to put more people over to the 2022 project now who do you obviously we see it's probably this other one of two uh, manufacturers i'm guessing is going to be answered to this question who do you see as the dark horse to watch out for in the season mclaren uh, well mclaren or racing point it's going to be on that one i think you know mclaren showed some brilliant pace today and with a renault engine in the back of that car turning to a Mercedes next year. That's very, very exciting. I can't wait. And Danny Rick in that car, so I can't wait on that one. Um, <laughs> Him and Racing Lando. Point didn't show us everything that we Expected. that we wanted. So I, I I think there's more to come from Racing Point. They had some issues as well. Stroll obviously retired with some kind of uh, power unit issue. 
and then Perez fell away towards the end. We wonder if that, that might have been tyres. He was on the mediums. Yeah, he kind um, of uh, it, there from, was, went like, on to the mediums. That 30 or something. So old, the tyres. Yeah, yeah he, he, he is the tyre master, but he stayed a long time on those mediums. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's more to come from Racing Point. And maybe we'll have to see if this is a bit of a fluke for McLaren because their race pace, especially at the start, didn't look great. Um, that last lap from Lando was incredible. Over mm. one lap, McLaren stood quick. Just so, holding that overtake button. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, but we'll have to see. I think it's going to be between those two. And that fight fourth is going to be very, very interesting this year. Mm-hmm. So moving on from uh, the season, uh, obviously... For any, as Will uh, previously mentioned, he's putting a bit of an error in Nick, and <laughs> <That's not fair. laughs> he has done work experience with the likes of teams like uh, Mercedes here at the top, and one of the key expo. Uh, I don't know how you say it, one of the key exponenters or whatever it is of the uh, of uh, getting the most out of every aero reg and everything. How crucial do you think it is? Obviously, we see that Ferrari bringing in a big aero upgrade uh, to Hungary. How crucial do you think it is to have the tip-top aero shape of the car? We've seen Renault's floor upgrade uh, for top performance now in the modern period of F1. So, with Formula 1, this year's obviously a bit of a weird one. We've seen teams chucking these massive upgrades straight away, but in general, it's more of a case of these minor changes, these marginal gains. You'll hear that phrase used a lot uh, if you look into like Formula One aerodynamics, and it's these very tiny changes. You know, you you might see and you might look at some data uh, and 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 see, oh, there's only been a plus 0.1 percent increase in performance. That is great for a Formula One team. They will take that <laughs> because any time because you get all these little plus 0.1s and they add up and they build up, and all of a sudden you've got. 1% extra performance, yeah. and that is massive as well, you know? So it, it's kind of weird to see Troy bring this massive error uh, upgrade. That tells you that whatever they've done wrong... is big. This is, is really, really big and really, really worrying. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'd say... Get, you, aerodynamics is such a massive thing in Formula 1 because it helps with downforce. You want to minimise the drag on the car as well. And obviously, you see all these little tricks over the last decade or so. The F duck from McLaren in 2010, Braun's double diffuser. Um, there have been so many little aerodynamic little upgrades, ground effects when we go back to the 70s as well, that have really been that defining factor in what makes a car quick around a race circuit. Also, uh, on continuing on from aero regulations, um, what is your opinion on the uh, new aero regs coming in and particularly the banning of the squirt design? So, for those who don't know what the squirt design is, if you look at a Formula 1 car now uh, and look at the rear tyres and then look just ahead of the rear tyres on the floor, you've got these little slots that are cut out uh, just to help improve the downforce of the floor. Now, they have been removed for 2021, and the reason behind that, I believe, is to save money on Pirelli's front. So, they don't need to design a brand new tyre uh, for the 2021 season. Things The cars are now getting so quick that the current Pirelli tyres, they're approaching the point where they're not safe to put on an F1 car. Mm. There's still a fair ways off that, but with the way things would upgrade normally in 2021, obviously with COVID, we don't really know what's going to happen. But the way it was going, the Pirelli, Pirelli would have had to basically redesign their tyre, which the year before a brand new set of regulations and, the, and obviously the, uh, the, 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 new, uh, the new rims that are coming in for 2022... It's just it doesn't make sense for Pirelli to do that. It's, it's a waste of money for just one year. Mm. So I can see why they've done it. The cars are going to be a little bit slower. I've heard rumors from you know three tenths to half a second to one second. I'd say it's around that three tenths to half a second slower. Um, obviously, the floor on the Formula One car produces so much downforce. But if it's you know saving money at the end of the day, and to, to the average fan, it's not going to. They aren't going to notice it. So. I, I wouldn't be too worried on that front. All the teams are going to take the same hit. Um, and, you know, all the teams, they, they develop the floor quite a lot. So it will, take, it will save the team's money as well. They want to develop that part of the car. So let's get into uh, another topic that we're speaking about uh, today. So obviously, 
in recent times, one of the closest se- um, seasons that we've seen is the 2012 season, with maybe not so much the first positions of the season with Mercedes in a league of their own, but the positions further back. We saw obviously the 2012 season so, so close. Um, with also with what seven or eight different winners of the first seven or eight different Grand Prix, how mm. likely do you think we are to see a really close season like the twenty twelve season was? Not for a while. In bear in mind, twenty twelve we're coming towards the end of that set of regulations, and yeah, you'll hear this talked about a lot on the uh, on, on on you know things like Sky F one. They like to talk about it a load, but. When you switch regulations, obviously some teams find massive gains, some teams fall back a long way. The field ends up being quite spread. You, it's exciting because you get maybe a different team out on top, but the field generally from, from first to last is quite quite largely spread. Now, as you go through a set of regulations, the teams at the front have less to gain, and the teams at the rear have more to gain. So they slowly kind of converge on each other. And, and we're seeing that now this year with the cars a lot quicker and the midfield a lot closer to the top three or top two because Ferrari aren't there anymore. So it, it'll be a while before we see that. Obviously, Mercedes have found this massive gain. And, you know, I think that means any chance for 2012 season is going to happen either this year or next year. But with looking at the Mercedes car, that's not going to happen. It's going to be a Mercedes whitewash again, I think. Um, 2022 as well. I think, like I said, a new set of regulations, the field will be quite spread. It'll be an exciting season. I think we'll have a different car or a different set of cars fighting for the championship. But, you know, it, it, it's going to be a while, I think, which is a shame. But when that does come along, it'll be very exciting. So, uh, obviously, it's a bit of a hotly debated uh, topic, this next question. Do you believe that this season was the true peak of Fernando Alonso's career? Obviously, we saw him uh, winning two world championships, both with Renault, I believe. But some say that because of the car and what he was able to do with it. Do you think this was this season was the true peak of Fernando Alonso's F1 career? Possibly. I mean, you could argue that we might have seen it in the McLaren Honda days. It's just the car wasn't able to show you know, what Alonso could do. I think at the end of the day, if you were going to look at Alonso's best seasons in F1, it's got to be 05 and 06. And he was fighting Schumacher and he beat Schumacher in the Ferraris. And, um, you know, 2012 was a very big highlight as well. That, that Ferrari car had, had struggled for pace, you know, not too dissimilar to what we're seeing <laughs> now. Uh, and you can see that in Massa's result. Massa was not a bad driver, but he was partnered against Alonso, which didn't really help him. I think it's up there. I would go with 2005-2006 being the peak. Given, you know, Maybe that's the easy answer as well, given that's where he won his championships. But 2012 was where he really kind of shot up again. 2010 was a good one. It was kind of another peak there. He's quite quiet through 2011. But 2012, he outdrove that car. So he was taking wins in Valencia. And I'm trying to remember where else he took one. Because that was his second win of the season. Might have been Spain, but I can't. It was no, Maldonado. Um, he won somewhere else that year, at least. He, he picked up a few wins. And he, yeah, he, he drove the socks of that Ferrari. That Ferrari shouldn't have been where it was. Kind of doing what Leclerc is sort of doing now. And I've seen a few Alonso-Leclerc comparisons, especially after the race yesterday. So I'm going to say, no, it's not the peak, but he came very close to, to that sort of peak that he hit in 2005, 2006. Also, uh, obviously, after we've seen um, Mercedes just being ridiculous, uh, their pace on a different level to everyone else, mm. um, do you think that this season, obviously we saw Lando Norris, a midfield uh, driver, getting on the podium. Do you think we could see lots of different podiums uh, this year? Uh, yeah, we could, definitely. You know, Perez nearly got on the podium there as well, and Albon could have got it. There'll be. I was kind of sat at one point in the race thinking, who do I who do I want to see on the podium podium here? Norris, Perez, or Albon? I, I don't want I want the Mercedes to crash level three of them on there. That'd be amazing. Um no. Um I think we could definitely see more. Yeah, you know, we're only one round into the season. And we had a couple of uh, crazy ones last year with the two uh, Toro Rosso drivers uh, getting onto the podium in Germany and uh, in Brazil. If we can get more crazy races like that, then don't be surprised to see a few more uh, odd names on the podium. Going back to the twenty twelve season, um Obviously, Lewis Hamilton, he was already a only a one-time world champion, I'm pretty sure, at that point in time. 
we saw a bit of a repeated theme with his pit crew making slow pit stops and many misdemeanors. Obviously, we see nowadays how crucial uh, the pit stops are in winning. They are the difference, really, between winning and losing a Formula 1 race. How crucial do you think they were in wiping him out of contention for that season? The McLaren car was not great that year. I think they, they, they won in Austin, which I think was his last race win for McLaren. I want to say they picked up a win early in the season as well as part of those seven, seven winners in the first seven races. Can't remember off the top of my head where that was. There was it was Alonso won at Malaysia. That's where he won. I've just remembered because he's fighting Perez. Um, anyway, getting back getting back to Hamilton, that car wasn't reliable as well. Obviously, they they Singapore I think was the real bite point where I think he was in the lead or he was challenging for the lead and then the car just gave up on him. And that happened a lot through 2012. And add to that, Mercedes knocking the doors saying, "Hey, come over to us. We've got a good car for 2014." Mm-hmm. It, it, it was the deciding factor in really what led to now. Uh, and if Hamilton hadn't gone to Mercedes, that's a video idea for you. If Hamilton hadn't gone to Mercedes, what would Formula <laughs> One look like now? Because I don't think he'd still be in the sport. I think McLaren would have got rid of him, hmm. um, which would have been incredible. Or he would have moved to someone like Ferrari. Uh, and then won nothing because the car's slow. Yeah, because <laughs> the car's a load of rubbish. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's an interesting question. But for me, yeah, it, the pit crew, don't remember that too well, but I do recall there being a few mistakes here and there. I couldn't tell you what races. But I think his entire relationship with McLaren was kind of turning sour at that point. He, he I think tweeted, he did get out of that team at the right time as well. I think he tweeted like some of the data uh, from the McLaren car. He actually. did, yeah. That got him in trouble. Yeah, well, I mean... That got him in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. So, finally... Uh, on 2012, we saw a reasonable amount of retirements uh, with Vettel, who actually won, retiring twice in the season. I think Alonso also retired twice. Sorry, he didn't retire, but he finished outside the top 10, I think, twice. I'm not sure. I can't be exactly sure. But um, how crucial do you think that? Obviously, we did see a lot of retirements in that race. How crucial do you think that getting in the points, getting high points, not having any retirements, um, always being up there is going to be for everyone to, you know, the midfield teams to be up in fourth place where they all want to be, or even third this year, and uh, to fight. Because even if we see Mercedes have a couple of, uh, even if they actually have any problems with their car or crashes or something, then how crucial do you think that it is to limit or have no outside top 10 finishes or, or retirements this season? That's an interesting question, especially now this year. You know, it it, it steps even further because we don't really know how many races we've got. There's only eight confirmed. Mm. We're thinking around 15. I think it will be less than that, but we'll kind of have to wait and see on that one. But if you think about it that way, the amount of points that you get in a season is reduced. So the amount of opportunities to score points is reduced. So losing a race, especially losing both cars, like, say, Haas did uh, or Red Bull did, that is mega. And someone someone pointed out to me, this is the first time since 2008 that uh, Alpha Tari or Toro Rosso, however, however you want to call them, are ahead of Red Bull in the Constructors' Championships. Um, which is, Williams, I think, are ahead of Red Bull in the Constructors' Championships. It's really weird at the moment. Um, but, yeah, throwing away weekends like that, especially to poor reliability, is not great, especially in this season. Um, 2012, there was, what, 19 races that year or 20 races? Um, so it was a little bit less of an issue, but uh, again, kind of back then, reliability wasn't as good as it well as as it was now. So yeah, you know, last weekend kind of proved that yeah, there are a few snags of reliability this year. We've already touched upon why that might be, but on in a normal season, giving away one or two race weekends that's fine at the start. Maybe towards the end, it can become a little bit more. Uh, serious, but this year especially, it's uh, you, you don't want to be giving up uh, results like we've seen some teams do uh, this year. See, now uh, that is the end of the questions I've written down. I've got just a couple of quick ones. Okay. So, obviously, uh, if you haven't seen it already, uh, Will did a, vic- uh, a uh, bold predictions video where <laughs> I'm still willing to bring up the fact about Perez, who was really high up there. Yeah. In his race, yeah, do you still mistake, believe yeah, that? 
Sergio <laughs> Perez will not finish in the top five in the driver's standings, because I still think he will. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, we'll we'll we'll, we'll see on that one. I don't think he'll finish in the top five. I think you know you've got Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen, Leclerc, and Albon will be in your top five now. That's of that first week, maybe and top then Vettel's there as well. Maybe so, top six. Maybe top six. Maybe if he can get ahead of say Vettel, but I'm not convinced yet. Okay. So ask me again in a few races time. <laughs> so also then uh, let's have a little. What's your bold prediction for the steering Grand Prix this weekend then? Ooh, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say, double Mercedes retirement. Imagine if it was. What was that race where? Uh, was it Hamilton crashed and then wiped out Rosberg or the other way around? Uh, Spain 2016, that happened. Yeah, at the um, start. Start of Spain 2016. We also yeah. lost both retirement. We lost both cars in Austria a couple of years ago mm. uh, in 2018. So it's happened before. Um, Maybe I don't the tyres will go. crash into each other, so to speak. But I think it'll be the curbs that do that car in at Maybe the end the of the day. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I'm. I, if, if Well, it's out there now. So if it happens, then hey ho. Then uh, you should. Uh... Get your odds, get your place you're betting now. <laughs> so, um, also, I'm going to give you a little prediction. Uh, so, I'd like to hear your top three for qualifying and your top three for the race. Go. Ooh, okay. Top three qualifying. I'm going to go for Stappen third, Bottas second, Hamilton first. And for the race, I'm going to go Perez third. Stappen second and Nicholas Latifi. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm joking. Uh, well, let's go. I should go first. Let's say my bold prediction comes true. Let's go. Le... Not Leclerc. What am I about? Um, let's go Albon first. Oh, I'd love to see Albon go Why first. Why not? So, um, obviously, I would also like to mention uh, about uh, Will's prediction. Was it your prediction that Sebastian Vettel will be fighting for the championship this Oh, season? don't bring that up. That's going to that's gonna, that's gonna ruin my career now. <laughs> yeah, I said Vettel would, would fight for the championship. I said Vettel would win the championship, I think, a few weeks ago. Um, ha! He's, he's one looking race really in. up let's, there. Let's he's just see how it there. goes. But... <laughs> so, so, yeah. so, finally... Uh, we do like to have a little quiz at the end of the episode. The score to be, I've been quite nice with these questions so far. I think I should make them a bit okay. harder. You've got quite a nice one as well. Okay. Um, the score to be is nine from last week, which was Glenn's. So uh, right. good luck with that Glenn, one. I'm coming for you. <laughs> right. So <laughs> right, I think I think you should get. I reckon you should get nine or ten here. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> Fresh is on now. Fresh is on now. Right. Question number one. Who won the inaugural FIA Formula 3 Championship in 2019? That was Schwartzman, wasn't it? That is correct. One point. Good start, good start. Good start. Uh, So, right. Apart from the two Williams, who finished third from bottom last year in the F1 World Championship standings? Oh, who was it? Who was it? Um, I don't know. I'm going to say, I'm going to say what the Haas is. I'm going to say Grosjean. Oh, that's correct. Oh, oh, get in. I'll take that. That's late breaking around the corner there. I've gone past him. <laughs> Which two drivers received a disqualification in the same race in Japan last year? That was the two Renault drivers, uh, Hulkenberg and Ricardo. Do you remember what it was for? Uh, there was an infringement with them changing settings, wasn't it, on the wheel or something like that? I can't. It was remember. like an engine mode or something with the uh, with, with the Renault car. Naughty, naughty, Cyril, squirrel. <laughs> who finished? So I've gone for quite uh, a recent one here. So uh, for this quiz, um, who finished fifth in the Formula One standings last year? Who finished fifth? Um, hang on. So Hamilton. Was first, then was it Leclerc? No, Hamilton, Verstappen. Was it Vettel? No. Um, Vettel finished. Did he finished third? No, Leclerc finished third. Bottas. Did he go Bottas? 
Sebastian Vettel. No, it was Sebastian Vettel. Bo- oh, I had it. Oh, Bottas oh. was second. I was second. I thought Verstappen was second. Okay, there you go. Verstappen was third, but uh, the man who's going to win the championship this season sadly finished uh, fifth, fourth. <laughs> so that is, you, you can't beat the score of Glenn. We could, okay. we could be on an eight here. We could be on an eight. Before which race last season was the Pierre Gasly Alex Albon swap announced? Before which race? That was before the Belgian Grand Prix. That is correct. Now, one of the drivers who I believe who should be winning virtually every race this season, where did Nicholas Latifi finish in the overall standings of the FT Championship last year? Quite a nice he was one. Second, wasn't he? Yeah, that's correct. What team did the ultimate driver, the most safe driver on the grid, K Mag, debut with? Uh, McLaren, twenty fourteen. Yep, that is correct. Oh, we're on a we're on a flyer here. What team is the only team, you'll know this, what team is the only team to have a 100% record in winning the Drivers' and the Constructors' Championship every year they've been in the sport? Oh, that's, um, that's going to be uh, the case. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> um, I thought, I it, was, I thought it was Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct as well. Now, this one, if you don't know this, this is embarrassing. Oh, no. What is the oldest video on the Formula Podcast One YouTube video on the channel? I'm sorry. Oh, what's the title? What's the title? Oh, Jesus! Um, the oldest video is. It's from four years ago. I'll give you a clue. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I I I could bring you all the way back because I know I I know what the uh, what the really oldest video is, but you guys can't see it. Uh, we go for the public videos. It's the 2016 Goodwood Festival of Speed Formula 1 slash Formula E highlights. That is correct. Have you looked that up on your phone? Have you looked... I've not looked up on my phone. I know it's got 13,000 views as well. Um, <laughs> well, that's a cracker. That was, yeah, I don't know how that did so well, but hey. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, I, I, that was question number nine. We have got one more. Okay. So um, I was talking about uh, Kimi Raikkonen on your podcast the other day. So I did include a little question about Kimi Raikkonen. Okay. A multiple choice question because it's quite a hard one. Oh no. <laughs> how many <laughs> podiums how many podiums has Kimi Raikkonen achieved in Formula One? Oh what? Okay. One hundred and seven, one hundred and three, or one hundred and five. Um this is a stab in the dark. I'm gonna go hundred and three. That, oh, that is correct, that is correct. <laughs> Yes, pulled out of the back. That was a Lando Norris fastest lap in the last <laughs> lap of the race. But uh, that puts you at eight. So you're second currently out of two oh. people to do the quiz. Uh, so thank you for coming on, Will. It has been a pleasure having you on. Absolute pleasure, mate. Loved it. Uh, so this will probably be out, I think, on the Wednesday, maybe. We've also got an episode with Ollie Caldwell coming out soon. And then we've got one about the fall of Hass as well. So do stick around for that. If you do enjoy the episode, uh, if you're on Apple, subscribe. If you're on Spotify, follow. If you're on YouTube, also subscribe. Uh, also, leave a little like oh, and a five-star review if you keep feeling extra kind. Goodbye, everyone.